And our gospel lesson this morning comes from the gospel according to John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house were locked where the disciples had met for fear of the religious authorities, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. He didn't cough, I don't think, but... After he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who is called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails, and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, You believe because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you might come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. There's a running joke among pastors about the Sunday after Easter Sunday. We call this Sunday, the Sunday that we're in right now, by an unofficial name, which is International Associate Pastors Sunday. (laughs) Yeah, the 845 service got that right away, too. We call it this because this day, at this very moment, making adjustments for time zones and all of that sort of thing, associate pastors around the world are definitely scheduled to preach because senior pastors are taking the Sunday off after a crazy Holy Week and Easter. Now, I always knew that this was just a lame stereotype. But then I started wondering, yeah, I started wondering how many times I'd preached on this particular Sunday over the years as an associate pastor. I couldn't get this out of my head, so I started digging around on this hard drive where I keep all of my old sermons, and I found that overall, this is my ninth Sunday after Easter Sunday that I've been the associate pastor at Benson Memorial. And of those nine, I have preached seven. <laughs> Close, but only seven. I hate stereotypes, don't you? <laughs> now, I'm not bringing this up because I'm disappointed. It's actually the opposite. I love This particular Sunday, especially when I have to write a sermon for this particular Sunday. And it's because the assigned gospel lesson for this Sunday, every year, happens to be one of my favorites. It's about a guy with an unfortunate nickname. 
We find unfortunate nicknames all over the Bible, don't we? Like there's this one woman in the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. She's referred to again in the New Testament. And whenever she's mentioned in the Bible, she's called Rahab the prostitute. Yeah, you have to wonder if every single time somebody reads her name in scripture, she's shouting down from heaven, I did other things too, you know. There's another guy in the book of Acts. We don't even know his name. He's just called the Ethiopian eunuch. Because that's what you want at the top of your resume. So in our passage this morning, we find a guy named Thomas. And what's Thomas's unfortunate nickname? Doubting Thomas. I say this is an unfortunate nickname because nobody ever says this favorably or encouragingly, do they? Instead, people say, don't be such a doubting Thomas. My dad grew up going to Catholic schools in the 60s and 70s, and he talks about how many times he got slapped on the wrist by a nun saying, Don't be such a doubting Thomas. But what I'd like to do this morning is take a look at Thomas's story and see what it's really telling us about doubt, because I think that poor Thomas gets a bad rap. And I think that we miss out on some of the beautiful and encouraging things in this passage if we enter into it immediately casting Thomas as the villain. But in particular, I want to share something that I was surprised by as I read this text this year. Because like I said before, I've preached this passage a time, or seven. I guess nine if we include the sermons from my previous church. But I found something this year that I've glossed over year after year, but it struck me for the first time this year. So first, let's talk about Thomas's story in this passage. It's the evening of the first Easter. And the disciples are gathered together in a house that the narrator is sure to tell us is locked up tight because the disciples are afraid of the religious authorities. And suddenly Jesus appears among them and says, peace be with you. And he shows them his hands. And when he does that, he says once again, peace be with you. I think it's important to mention that Jesus says this to them twice. Because these are people who need an extra level of peace at this moment, aren't they? I mean, not only are they in a locked house and suddenly somebody's just appearing behind the locked doors, but that someone just happens to be their friend that they saw get crucified a few days earlier. So Jesus extends peace to them twice. Next, we find that Jesus sends them on a mission. He tells them that just as God sent him into the world, he's sending them into the world. And then he does something totally natural that bears no explanation, which is that he breathes on them. Everybody here is completely deadpan. I don't know what happens at gatherings at your house, but if I were at a party and somebody started breathing on me, I'd be a little bit creeped out. I'd probably leave, like, immediately. But let's remember, these disciples were Jewish, and as Jews, they were familiar with the story of creation, where God breathed into the first human beings the breath of life. So for them, this breathing thing, it was a sign of empowerment. It was a sign of comfort, a sign of new life for them. So the disciples, they receive peace from Jesus. They see his hands. They're sent out by Jesus. And then Jesus gives them this sign of new life and empowerment. But Thomas wasn't there for any of this. 
So when Thomas shows up, they say, we have seen the Lord. And Thomas says, unless I see the marks of the nails in his hands and put my fingers in them and put my hand in his side, I'm not going to believe you. Now, a week later, the disciples are back together in that locked house. This time, Thomas is there and Jesus shows up again. He gives another peace be with you. And after that, he goes straight for Thomas. And he invites Thomas to touch his hands and the wound in his side. And he invites Thomas to believe. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Now, what does this story tell us about doubt? First, I think it shows us that even the people we hold up as shining examples of belief have doubt. Because we talk about Thomas's doubts in this passage all the time, but do you know what we don't often talk about? The fact that on day one, Jesus enters a locked room where the disciples are, sends them out into the world, and then where are they the next week? Back in the locked room and not out in the world. They got to see Jesus. They were given peace twice. They got the whole breath thing. And even still, they're holed up a week later. Apparently, all disciples have doubt. Second observation. Jesus gives Thomas exactly what he needs. When Thomas comes back that first night, he says that he needs to see and touch Jesus' wounds before he believes. And a week later, Jesus doesn't come in and judge him for that. Instead, he says, this is what you need? Here. Look. Touch. But the other thing that Jesus gives to Thomas is time. Jesus doesn't appear to Thomas for another week. He didn't just pop back into the room as soon as Thomas expressed any doubt. Instead, he waited a week to come back to Thomas. Third observation. Thomas's doubt leads to a more profound expression of faith. And here's what I mean by that. When the disciples relay what they saw to Thomas, they say, we have seen the Lord. But when Jesus appears to Thomas after he expresses all of his doubts and concerns, Thomas eventually calls Jesus my Lord and my God. Thomas's doubt didn't detract from his faith in Jesus. It led to a deeper faith in Jesus. So, do you have doubts? And do you come to worship or Bible study and see all the shining examples of faith in front of you and wonder if you fit in? Yes, you do. Of course you do. Because all the disciples in this story had doubts. They were just expressed in different ways. And I can't speak personally and definitively for every single person in this room, but if pressed, I think that every single one of us would say that we have our share of doubts or questions. And at very least, your pastors do. So never, never, never think you're alone in your questions. And I know that some of you might respond to that by saying, well, that's all well and good, but I've been burned before. I've been in a religious setting where I was uh, judged for asking the wrong question, a question that people deemed inappropriate. And that might be true. And I've heard plenty of stories like this. And more than that, I've lived plenty of stories like this. But do you know who doesn't judge people for doubting? Jesus. Because remember, didn't Je Jesus didn't come in that second week with accusations against Thomas. 
He came in with open arms and hands that still had holes in them. Not only that, but by showing up a week later, it's almost like Jesus is expressing the understanding that our most difficult questions take time to struggle with. And in the end, actually asking and struggling with those questions isn't going to choke our faith. That struggle is going to expand our faith. But there's one more thing that I want to mention. And it's that thing that I've always seemed to gloss over as many times as I've read and preached on this passage. At the beginning of the passage, we're told that the disciples were locked up in the house because they were afraid of the religious authorities. And then we're told, but Thomas wasn't with them. Now, over the years, I've always cracked some joke at this point about how Thomas was off on a coffee run or something like that. But I think this little line is way more profound than all that. Apparently, the disciples were afraid of some outside group. The disciples had a those people. You know what I mean? They had a group of people that they didn't want to get in because of what might happen. And apparently, Thomas didn't buy into that. Because Thomas wasn't with them. So I think this is a story about how doubts and questions are good and healthy and they lead to a deeper faith. But I think that this is also a story about how not buying into the fear narrative that those people are out to get us also leads to a deeper faith. And we all have a group of those people that we're afraid of, don't we? I mean, if you're digging your heels in or you don't know who yours is, just tune into the news outlet of your choice for about 17 seconds and you'll get a pretty good idea of who it is for you. Those people who are coming to take our jobs those people who are making the neighborhood change, those people who don't read the Bible like I do, those people who are trying to destroy our fill-in-the-blank way of life, country, freedom, faith, church. Now look, I get there are credible threats out there, but I think the subtle warning in this passage that I've personally ignored all these years is that doubt doesn't kill faith, but nothing will kill faith faster than fear. And Thomas didn't buy into the fear. So, this morning, don't stifle your doubts. Don't stifle your doubts. Listen to them. Some people may judge you, but they don't have the right to. And Jesus certainly won't judge you. And even in the midst of all of the Easter celebration and the lilies and the colored eggs and the music, your doubts and your questions still have a place right alongside all of these. So don't stifle your doubts, but also don't stifle your fears. Listen to your fears. Because Thomas's journey to a deeper understanding of who Jesus is came not just through questioning his faith, but also through questioning his fear. Amen? Amen. Amen.